Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. The book of Jeremiah, particularly chapter 36, tells us how God gave us the book of the prophet Jeremiah. The book that the Bible speaks of in Jeremiah chapter 36 is the same book of Jeremiah that you have on your lap, that you have on your smartphone. The book of Jeremiah. What's going on in these passages essentially is that in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in verse 1, the word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord. Jeremiah is a prophet. Jeremiah lived over 3,000 years ago in the land of Judah. And God spoke to his prophet, Jeremiah. Sitting on the throne was a fellow by the name of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim's father was named Josiah. Josiah was a good king, according to the Holy Scripture. Josiah went into the hills, and he tore down all the idols that were established to worship Baal. He drove out uh, those who did not believe in Elohim, who did not believe in the living God. And he established that religion, that there is a relationship between God and man through faith. Jehoiakim, uh, Josiah died on the field of battle. He died on the field of Megiddo, known as Armageddon. Armageddon, as you know, is where the last great battle will take place on earth. Josiah died on that particular field. He was killed in battle by one of uh, the Egypts of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's Egypt, uh, an Egypt, an Egyptian Pharaoh. Now, Jehoiakim takes over and becomes the king of Judah. Jehoiakim is not as faithful to God as his father was. The Bible tells us that Jehoiakim did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He reestablished the worship of Baal. He re- the sin just invaded uh, Judah at the time. And God did not like sin. God did not like unbelief. God did not like Judah turning away from righteousness and turning back into a wicked, deceitful, heart hurtful life. So God, in his grace and his mercy, he speaks to the prophet Jeremiah. God speaks to the prophet and says in verse 2, Take thee a roll of a book. Write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations. Down in verse 3, the Bible says, It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. God is a God of forgiveness. And here Judah, the land that uh, brings forth the Messiah, Judah, the land that gave us David, the king of Israel, this land is turned from righteousness, turned away from God, turned away from the living word, and living a life of sin, living a life of iniquity, to the point that God himself has to speak to the prophet from heaven and say, take a scroll, take a parchment, open it up, and write the words that I give you. Those words are the book of the prophet Jeremiah. God says, write these words. Why? Because God does not want to bring forth his judgment upon Judah. God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. God says, write these words that I'm telling you, Jeremiah, upon a scroll and take it to the king of of Judah. Let Jehoiakim hear these words that I may forgive the sin and iniquity of Judah. And that's what takes place in Jeremiah chapter 36. But Jeremiah can't write the words himself. So he has a young scribe, a young writer by the name of Baruch. He writes down the very words of Jeremiah chapter 36. And what goes on further in the chapter is that these words are preached 
in a synagogue. And the king's princes hear about these words, and eventually the word gets to the king himself, Jehoiakim. And we'll see how he reacts when he hears the words. So essentially, that's what takes place in Jeremiah chapter 36. God speaks to his prophet. His prophet has a young man named Baruch write down the words of the book of Jeremiah. And within these words are the warning to Judah that judgment is about to come down on Judah. Your sins are about to be punished. However, I'm willing to forgive. However, I'm willing to give you mercy. However, I'm willing to show you grace. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. It's no different between the God in the Old Testament and God's personality and character in the New Testament. He's still willing to forgive your sins. He's still willing to cover your iniquity in the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you on the cross at Calvary. Now, the title of this message is God's Word, the most dangerous book on the planet. God's Word, the Holy Bible, the most dangerous book on the planet. To the Christian in the room, to the believer, God's word is precious. God's word is sweet. God's word is sweeter than the honeycomb. God's word is a place of refuge for us. God's word for the person who has turned from sin and trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that word shows us the path of salvation. It shows us what happens after life on earth when death comes and takes us away. And we have peace and we have comfort in the knowledge that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible tells us how the universe was created. The Bible tells us how God became a man, became flesh, and lived on earth and died a horrible death on a cross at a place called Calvary that all of our sins, all of our iniquities might be forgiven. The Bible tells us what happened in the past. The Bible tells us what happens today. And the Bible will tell us what happens tomorrow in the future. The Bible prepares us for heaven, but it also equips us for life on earth. To the Christian, it's a wonderful book. To the Christian, it's precious. To the Christian, it is like honey in our mouths, just melting with the sweet, sweet taste of sugar. That's how the Bible is for the man, the woman, the boy, the girl in this room who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. However, for the sinner, for the unbeliever, for the atheist, for the agnostic, for the radical jihadist, for the Islamist who pushes a button and blows themselves up, for the unbeliever, for the unrepentant sinner, this is the most dangerous book on the planet. Why is it dangerous to the unbeliever? Why is it dangerous to the unrepentant sinner? Why is it dangerous to the radical Islamist? Why is it dangerous to the person who rejects the saving grace of Jesus Christ? It's dangerous because it challenges the heart. It's dangerous because it challenges the mind. And it's dangerous because it challenges the soul. Just last week, a video was released of a place called Mosul in the country of Iraq. Mosul at one time was a Christian city in the country of Iraq. We fought a war there back in 2004 where American soldiers fought against insurgents during the Iraq war. Later on, a group called the Islamic State in Syria rose up and began to sweep across the Middle East, also known as ISIS. So the Islamic State swept across the Middle East and captured the city of Mosul. The Islamic State in, the, in Syria, ISIS, is radical Islam. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. They do not believe that he is the savior of the world. They hate Christians. They hate Christianity, and they hate the Holy Bible. Hate is not too strong a word. You've seen their actions on television. 
You've seen them beheading Christians on television. You've seen them taking Jordanian pilots, putting them in a cage, and setting that pilot on fire as he screams, to, as he goes into eternity. That's the heart and the wickedness and the darkness in the heart of the people who claim to be part of the Islamic State. Last week, a video emerged of the Islamic State in Mosul with a great bonfire. And what were they doing? Collecting Bibles. Collecting Bibles collecting any literature that had the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on it. And they were throwing every Bible they could find into this great bonfire. Every piece of literature that had the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on it, they threw into this great bonfire. And they're trying to stamp out belief in Jesus Christ. They're trying to eradicate belief in the Christian God. And you'll find it amazing that nothing's changed in 3,000 years. Here we are in 2016, and you still have folks burning the holy word of God. Why? Because the, God, the Bible challenges the heart, the Bible challenges the mind, and the Bible challenges the soul. We have three points today. I've already repeated them. The title of the message is God's Word, the most dangerous book on the planet. It's dangerous because people hear the truth. They see the truth. They read the truth within the scripture, and the scripture is able to set them free from their sins. There are folks who don't want to be released from their sin. There are people who don't want to stop practicing their wickedness. There are people who don't want to stop the, the iniquity. And there are folks in this room who, who match that bill also. We're just not talking about somebody 3,000 miles away. We're talking about the heart, the mind, and soul of Christians here, of people here in uh, Southern California who have failed to repent and turn from their sins and trust Jesus Christ. My first point this morning is that the Bible challenges the heart. In Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 1 through 3, we read uh, how the Bible comes to uh, Jeremiah from the Lord. We're told in verse 2 how he is commanded to take a roll of a book. It's like a parchment, and right there in the words of God. But verse 3 is very powerful, Jeremiah 36, 3, where the Bible says, and this is God speaking, it may be, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them. The first thing is that God plans to judge the sin of Judah. What has Judah done that's so terrible? What has Judah done that's so wrong? What has Judah done that's drawn the attention of God that he's going to bring his own judgment down upon this tribe that he loves? Out of Judah comes the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel. Out of Judah came King David, King of Israel. So Judah has a special place, if you will, in the pro program and plan of God. But Judah... After the death of Josiah, Jehoiakim, his son, takes over, and Judah goes back to worshiping false gods. They return to the false religion of Baal. They return to building idols and altars up in the hills, the Judean mountains, that worship a god that wants children pass through the fire. Human sacrifice. And those idols have been there, and those altars have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they just stack one on top of the other. This is just not some new thing emerging in the, in the time of uh, Jeremiah. So we find that God is about to judge that sin. God is about to judge the belief uh, that these folks have in a false God. But God in his eternal grace, God in his eternal love, God in his eternal mercy, he gives Judah a chance. He gives Judah a chance. An opportunity. And the opportunity is to return 
every man, in verse 3, from his evil way, that I, God, may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Judah was polluted by sin. Just like Los Angeles is polluted by sin. Judah was polluted by sin, just like San Francisco, Chicago, Detroit, New York are polluted by sin. And the reason why they're polluted by sin because they're occupied by people. And we are polluted by sin. When Adam and Eve rejected the very word of God in the book of Genesis, as a result of that rejection of God's words, thou shalt not eat from the tree of, of, of uh, good and evil, because they rejected the eternal word of God, sin and death came into the world. And we see the results of that thousands of years later of disobeying God's word. We see abortion on demand. We see drug abuse. We see all types of sin on television, all types of sin in the movie, all types of sin in our very households. Not talking about somebody up in Hollywood and Brentwood, talking about the folks in this room. It's our hearts that are polluted by sin. It's our hearts that have been changed and turned away from God because of breaking God's law. That is sin. That very thing you wouldn't want to stand up here in the pulpit and tell these people about, that is what breaks God's heart. And that's what will condemn you and send you to a devil's hell because of a lack of repentance. But God is not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should repent. God is not willing that anyone should go to hell. Hell wasn't created for you. Hell was created, the Bible says, for the devil and his angels. Hell was not created for any man, woman, boy, or girl in this room. Hell was created for that evil person that rebelled against God eons ago and said, I will be like the Most High God. It was created for Satan and those demons that followed him. Paradise was created for you. Paradise, a place where you can walk in eternity with God and fellowship with God and sing praises with God and worship God and know God and God knows you. But because of sin coming into the world and because of death coming into the world, we as human beings are born sinners. We like to think that there's something good about ourselves. We like to think that we have some social redeeming value. We would like to think that if we make uh, lunches for the homeless, that that'll count for something when we step from this world and transition into the next. We like to believe that if we give enough money to charities, that that money will buy our way into heaven. We like to think that if we're a good person, whatever that means, that that goodness will count for something. Well, our goodness counts for nothing. Bible says our righteousness. Jeremiah said our righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm not making this up. It's in the word of God. And God says, our righteousness is as filthy rags, that our works count for nothing. It's nice to be kind to your neighbor. It's great that you allow somebody to move in front of you in traffic and you don't raise your hand and get all nasty and mad about it. Oh, that's good. It's great that you go to high school. It's great that you go to college. It's great that you get a good job. It's great that you pay your taxes. It's great that you're a good mother. It's great that you're a good father. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad you're not taking up a gun and going out on the streets and grabbing somebody in the collar and saying, give me your money. I'm glad you're not doing that. So glad you're not breaking into my house at 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm glad. Thank you. That is not 
going to save your eternal soul. Are you listening? That is not going to save your eternal soul. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, the Bible says, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's wonderful if you live a noble life. Praise God. It's wonderful if you live an honorable life. Thank God. However, to get that stain, that pollution, that effect of sin washed away, that's a supernatural act that requires a supernatural solution. And that supernatural solution is through Jesus Christ. We like to think that there is something we can do to earn our salvation. We like to believe that there is something we can say to persuade God to open the gates of heaven and let us in. We like to think that there is something, something, something in our being, something likable about us, something attractive about us, something about our intelligence, something about our philosophy, something about our religion, something about who we think God is that will open up the gates of heaven and allow us to come through. But God is not interested in whether or not you obey the holy days of obligation. And those who have gone through Catholicism know what I'm talking about. He doesn't care about how many Hail Marys you pray. He doesn't care about how many times you go to confession. He doesn't care if you were uh, affirmed in the church. He doesn't care about that. Why? Because it's religion. And Baptists aren't off the hook either. God doesn't care if you walk down the aisle because the doors of the church are open. God doesn't care if you tithe regularly. God doesn't care if you attend church regularly. Why? To make that clear, if you come here because you think you're doing God a favor, if you come here because you think coming to church is going to get your ticket punched for heaven, then you're going to be wrongly disappointed. Glad to see you here today. You put something in the offering plate. Amen. But it will not save your soul. What saves your soul is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That moment you turn from sin, that moment that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he was buried and that he rose from the grave and then you are born again. Hallelujah. That's what God is interested in. All your sins covered in the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you on the cross of Calvary. That's what God is interested in. Then you come and do some work for God through the church. Then you attend church regularly. Then you tithe your money. Then you give the missions. Then you go out in the field and you witness. Then you tell people about Jesus Christ. Then you hand out tracts. Because then it counts for something. You're living a religious life today. Toss it to the side. If you're a religious today, let it go. What's religion? Religion is when you think that you can do something to aid your salvation. That is religion. You see it with the Jehovah's Witnesses. You see it with the Mormons with their white shirts and their black pants and their black ties riding all over the place. You see it with the Catholicism. That's, that's religion. Religion is man attempting to get back to God. That's what religion is. Well, Easter's coming. Let's get the family cleaned up and let's go to church. That's religion. Christmas is coming. 
Let's get the family cleaned up and let's go to church. That's religion also. But when God himself speaks to you from heaven through the Holy Scripture, when God himself speaks to you from heaven through the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know in your heart of hearts that you are a sinner and you're in need of a Savior and you turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ, that is faith. That is Christianity. That is what God is interested in. The Bible challenges the heart. And it must challenge the heart because the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. We don't have to teach children how to be rebellious. It's inherent, born in original sin. We don't have to teach our kids how to say no. They already know how to say no. Pick up your toy. No. Make your bed. No. Time to go to school. Don't want to get up. Two, three years old. Why? Because of original sin. But that nature can be changed. And that nature can be changed by the word of God. That's what makes the book dangerous. Because it changes the evilness and the wicked, the evil and the wickedness that's in the heart of man. Tell you how dangerous this book is. In his first point, it changes the heart. A couple of years ago, a fellow named Jeffrey Fowle was arrested in North Korea. He went to North Korea on a tourist visa. Heaven knows why you want to go to North Korea, but he wanted to go there and see what was going on. An American got there, had a copy of uh, the Bible, small copy. He went to a club, and he figured, I'll leave the Bible behind. And maybe a North Korean will come along and pick up the Bible, read the Bible, see the gospel of Christ, turn from sin, and get saved. Good intention. Until the North Koreans, the police, found the Bible. He didn't get out of North Korea. He was arrested. He was arrested. Arrested for doing what we do normally here in the United States. We go out to dinner. We go to a restaurant. We want to leave a tip for the waiter or the waitress, so we put a gospel track on the table, and we leave a tip for the waiter or the waitress. I hope you do that. Here's a fellow with the same intention in North, North uh, Korea who wound up getting arrested and detained in North Korea. Fortunately, our State Department was able to negotiate his release. Uh, like this recent fellow, young guy, 21 years of age, was sentenced to 15 years of hard labor in uh, North Korea for attempting to to take a souvenir home. 15 years of hard labor for attempting to take a souvenir home, 21 years of age. The fellow who left the Bible, uh, our diplomatic uh, uh, personnel got him off. But it shows you how threatened the world is by the word of God. Jesus says in the Bible, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the atheistic, communistic regime in North Korea was threatened by those words. Just a small book, but the most dangerous book on the planet. So the Bible challenges the heart. Secondly, it challenges the mind. In Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 21, if you look on with me, please. Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 21. 
Bible says, uh, so the king, that's uh, Jehoiakim, sent Jehudai to fetch the roll. I'll stop right there, get you up to speed. So one of the king's princes heard the book of Jeremiah being read in the synagogue. One of the princes went back and told some other princes that I've just heard something that was mind-blowing. I just heard what God plans to do with Judah, that judgment is coming down on our country. The king needs to hear about this. So the young princes report back to the king, and the king says, uh, I want to uh, hear the reading from this roll. So that's where we're up to uh, verse 21. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll, and um, Jehudai took it out of Elishema, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudai read it, this is what's important, in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood before the king. Verse 22. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before the king. And it came to pass in verse 23 that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, the king cut it with a penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll, all the Bible, all the book of Jeremiah was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. In verse 25, three young princes, Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah, had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll. Oh, king, don't burn the Bible. But the king, at the end of verse 25, would not hear them. The Bible challenges the heart. Secondly, it challenges the mind. The king heard about the impending judgment of God. The king knows of God. How does he know of God? Because of that same Bible you have on your laps today. He had access to 1 Kings and 2 Kings. He had access to 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. It's like being the king or queen of England. You can trace your, trace your history all the way back to the first king of England. If you are Prince Harry, you know that you are descended from William the Conqueror. You learn all that information when you become the king or queen or you're a prince of England. Same thing holds true with Judah. Jehoiakim knows the history. He knows of God's relationship with the Jewish people from, from Pharaoh all the way through the time of the judges, all the way through the kings. He knows this information. And his mind is challenged by the word of God. So your mind is being challenged by God's word this morning. Do I believe what the preacher is saying or do I disbelieve it? Am I going to change my life or am I going to continue my life as it is? That's what you're wrestling with right now. How do I know it? Because the Holy Spirit is in the room and the Holy Spirit is touching your heart and the Holy Spirit is reaching you where you are. So the Bible challenges the heart and it challenges the mind. Our king here, it's a winter uh, time scenario. And the Bible says that the king is sitting in front of a great fireplace. And he's having a young man read the Bible to him, Jeremiah. And as Jehudai gets through three or four pages of the scroll of the parchment, what the king does, he takes out a pocket knife, a pen knife. Interesting, the Bible tells us exactly what kind of knife it is. It doesn't say it's a sword. It says he takes out a pen knife. So it's a small knife. And what the king does is tear or cut the pages asunder. And then he takes each page 
and cast it into the fire. How arrogant. How arrogant. That's human pride. Where the prophet of God has written down the word of God and this king made out of flesh, blood, and dust has the audacity to cut the word of God into pieces and throw those pieces into the fireplace. Bible says he did this action until all the roll was consumed at the end of verse 23 in the fire that was on the heart. So instead of having a sense of fear, instead of having a sense of anxiety, instead of having a sense of concern that he had received this word from God himself and treated it so lightly and treated it so cavalierly, the Bible says that Jehoiakim and the princes that were with him in verse 24 were not afraid. Neither did they rent their garments. You remember in the the New Testament where Jesus says, I am, and uh, the priests got all upset about it and start tearing their garments because Jesus told them that he is God. That's, that reaction didn't take place here in uh, Jeremiah. And neither the king, the Bible says in verse 24, nor any of his servants that heard all these words. So nobody was upset about it. How can that be? Well, nothing's changed in 3,000 years. What are you thinking about right now? I'm giving you the word of God. Are you thinking... I need to live a holier Christian life? Are you thinking, man, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior? Or are you thinking about what time is this message going to be over? Are there enough donuts out there in the fellowship hall? Is the tea hot? Is the coffee ready? Where are my friends? What's going through your heart of hearts? Where's Pastor Pat? What's he doing up there? What's going through your heart of hearts? Nothing's changed in 3,000 years. The king sits there. He reads the word of God. Same word of God that you have on your lap right now. Same word of God that you have on your smartphone. The same book of Jeremiah. Yet, he is not convicted of his sin. He doesn't see his need for the Savior. He doesn't see a need to turn from religion, to turn from philosophy, to turn from opinion, and turn to God and, in our context, Jesus Christ. The Bible says he wasn't afraid, even though his mind was challenged. And we like challenges. Humans are interesting. Even as I speak, there's a space station above your head. It's about 250, 278 miles up in outer space. There are four people living on it right now, even as I speak. A space station travels around the Earth at about 17,500 miles per hour. They got it pretty souped up right now. It circles the earth about 16 16 times a day. That's how fast it's traveling. I'm impressed how we, meaning the human race, are able to put 450 tons of metal up in outer space, conduct uh, scientific experiments on it, send men up to it. They can live there almost a year and then we bring them back to earth in one piece. I'm impressed. I remember when Alan Shepard first went into space. He was our first astronaut. 
the Russians beat us into space. They sent a monkey up. Yeah, uh, on something called Sputnik. Yeah. And uh, monkey goes up, comes back down. Everybody loves the monkey. So we did it with a human because we had to beat the Russians. We had to, we had to take it one step further, you know, a little competition there. They called it the space race. So we took Alan Shepard, put him on a rocket ship, basically a, a bomb. <laughs> I don't know if he went in kicking or scratching or not, but he got in there. Oh, where to go? Yeah, you are. Got to beat the Russians. So they put Alan Shepard in this rocket ship, a bomb, lit a match. I'm sure it was a little more technical than that. <laughs> Thing blew up, sent him rocketing up into space. So Alan Shepard went up, and he came back down. And that started the space race. Now, I was just a kid. You know, I was probably about 9 or 10 years old when that happened. You fast forward, and we actually have a space station in space circling the Earth. I'm impressed with that. Scientists, their mind was challenged. It wasn't enough just to send Alan Shepard up and bring him back down. They wanted to know how can we actually live up there, and how long can we live up there, and how soon will it be before we send a manned mission to Mars to colonize it. I'm impressed. That's good stuff, especially if you like you know, science and all that. Why aren't we that challenged? to get closer to God when we hear the eternal truth. Because we're clouded by sin. Our hearts are darkened. Our spiritual understanding is cloudy. From experience, I know that I can tell you, this room, how do you get saved? You trust the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He was buried. The third day he rose from the grave. Believe in Jesus, and you'll be saved. And I bet you my next cup of coffee, you walk up to somebody and say, how can you be saved? And the response will be, I just need to be a good person. I just need to be a good person. Why does that happen? Because our spiritual understanding is clouded and muddy by sin. But the Bible challenges that cloudy mind. Thirdly and finally, the Bible challenges the soul. God's word, the most dangerous book on earth to the unbeliever, because it challenges the heart, challenges the mind, and it challenges the soul. Jeremiah chapter 36, we're still in that book, verse 27. The uh, Bible says, And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. After that, the king had burned the roll, and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again another roll, <laughs> and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jeho Jehoiakim, the king, of Judah hath burned. Drop down to verse 32. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And there were added besides unto them many like words. The Bible challenges the soul. Here we have Jehoiakim the arrogant, the prideful Jehoiakim, king of Judah, can have anything he wants in the kingdom. Nothing's changed. Man's heart is still dark and deceitful. So if he wants, you know, a lux luxurious Cadillac, if he wants gold, if he wants silver, if he wants concubines, you know, if he wants to have 30 women as wives, he can have anything he wants. Because he is the king. 
and he thought that he was on par, if not beyond, the authority of the God of the Bible. So when God spoke to him, he cut up God's word, tossed it cavalierly into the fire. And what did God do? Did he retreat to some corner of the universe and cry his eyes out? Of course not. God. Did he, did he decide that, okay, I don't need Jehoiakim, I'll just, I'll just go to someplace else and I'll give uh, another king, maybe Pharaoh, you know, some power. No, he didn't do that. What God did is that he had Jeremiah <laughs> rewrite the book that was burned up in fire. So not only was that book of Jeremiah that you have on your lap rewritten and dictated by God, but more words were added to it. I'm going to let that marinate. <laughs> okay? We'll let that settle in for a minute. Stir it up a little bit, all right? This is good stuff. God, so powerful. That word for word, it didn't matter that the book was burned up in the fire. He gave the book of Jeremiah back to Jeremiah one more time, word for word for word, and just to add insult to injury, he added some more words to it. I love my God. That's power. That's confidence. And by his grace and his mercy, that same book is passed down to you and I today. With the same words and a few more added to it. Now, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim should have paid attention uh, to the Bible. He should have let the Bible challenge his heart. He should have let the Bible challenge his mind. He should have let the Bible challenge his soul. Because what happened to Jehoiakim was Nebuchadnezzar, and the armies of Babylon swept down on Judah. Jehoiakim was chained and taken away from all the wine, the women, and the song, and he was taken away in slavery to Babylon. That's what happened to Jehoiakim. Why? Because he did not allow the Bible to challenge his heart, to challenge his, his mind, and to challenge his soul. Could have been avoided. How do I know that? Way back in verse 3, where God says that he wanted to forgive their iniquity and their sin. That's what God wants to do today. He wants to forgive your iniquity and your sin. Iniquity means wickedness. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nice suit. Nice shirt, nice tie, wicked heart. Wicked heart. Wicked heart. But by God's grace, by God's mercy, by God's love, this heart of stone inside Brother Brooks was transformed into a heart of flesh. Instead of dying in my sin and going to hell, I will die and stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will invite me into paradise. Why? Because my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because I trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Will I get to heaven because I was married for 36 years and we raised six lovely children together? Will I get into heaven uh, because I worked for 25 years? Will I get into heaven because when I see trash laying in the street, I'll go down and I'll pick up that garbage and I'll throw it into my trash can? If I see somebody who needs help walking across the street and I take my time to lead them across the street, is that going to get me into heaven? It will not. What gets me into heaven 
is the fact that I know the door. The door has a name, and it's Jesus Christ. First time I heard the gospel, I was 28 years old. I did not grow up in the church. I was maybe go Christmas and Easter because the fellas in the neighborhood went to church on Christmas and Easter just to look at the girls. So I heard Christ died for me, was buried, and rose from the grave when I was 28. Had some challenges, false conversion, that's another story. But when I did come to Christ in 1991, I knew that each and every one of my sins were forgiven. I know that I have a way into heaven, not because I'm Brother Brooks, Reverend Brooks, Dr. Brooks, Mr. Brooks, Lieutenant Brooks. I got a bunch of titles. None of it matters. All that matters is that I have the title, Born Again Christian. Stay with me on that. We live in a country, and I'm wrapping up, where we like to put labels on people. Jamaican-American, Korean-American, Mexican-American, African-American, Czechoslovakian-American, whatever. We like, to, we like to label folk. Only two kind of people in the world. Saved, lost. That's it. When you get to heaven, when you stand before Jesus Christ, he's not going to say, well, I'm going to let you into heaven because your ancestors were slaves and they were brought to America. I'm not going to let you into heaven. I'm going to let you into heaven because the conquistadors, you know, came through Mexico and murdered a lot of Aztecs and Incas. I'm going to let you into heaven because uh, during World War II, the Japanese invaded Korea and China and murdered a lot of people, so I feel sorry for you. I'll let, I'll let you in. It's not how you get in. All those things are horrible. All those things are the results of sin. But the way you get in is through the door. His name is Jesus Christ. And God in his grace and God in his mercy gave us his eternal word. He gave us the Bible that challenges the heart, challenges the mind, challenges the soul. And the most important message in here is that Jesus Christ loves you, that God loves you, that God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever, Mexican, Jamaican, Korean, Czechoslovakian, French, German, Spanish, black, non-black, saved, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the word of God that you can take to the bank. That will get you through those pearly gates. That will get you into heaven. That will save you from hell. Christ died for you. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. From the dead. The Bible is God's word, most dangerous book on earth to the unbeliever. But to the believer and unbeliever alike, challenges the heart, challenges the mind, challenges the soul.